It is always a blessing to be with you. Uh, as, as we've mentioned uh, briefly in the bulletin, uh, this morning we're wanting to, to take some time as a church family uh, to, to express our thanks and our gratitude to the, the Corbett family, Stephen, Tiffany, Kyle, and uh, Colby. We are just thankful so much for what they mean to us. Uh, that's a lot of lock-ins when Stephen was youth minister and a lot of camps and uh, since then, a lot of adult class series, and a lot of videos, uh, a lot of bulletin articles, a lot of various things that our, our church family has been blessed by. We're so thankful for them. Uh, Donnie is going to lead a prayer blessing over them near the close of our service. But one of the things I want to let you know about, there's a lot going on in our lobby this morning. One of the things, one of the tables that's out there that's going on is a, a picture of the Corbett family. And we're just inviting everyone who has uh, any connection to them at all, any time that you've had to spend with them that, that you want to express your gratitude, please just sign your, your name or the name of your family on a mat that surrounds that picture. We'd encourage you to write longer notes or cards and either send them uh, in the mail or, or make sure it gets to the office or, or just hand the note to them yourselves. Their address uh, is in the today's bulletin. You're, you're welcome for that. Um, th- their home address is in the bulletin. Um, so, just make sure that you take some time uh, this week or in, in the coming days just to let them know what they mean to us. 20 years is uh, a long time to minister to church, especially uh, with, with the, the way things are going in churches right now. Lots of people move around often. Um, it, it says something to this family's faithfulness, uh, dependability, and, and patience in community for them to be here um, and so I'm thankful to get to work with Stephen every day, and, and I know so many of you have been blessed by them. So please take some time before you get out of the lobby this morning to go ahead and sign that, that mat around that picture. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for all the ways that he leads us and guides us in this life. And as we open up your word, and as we listen to his words this morning, We pray that you would help speak to us again, that we would listen not only with our ears, but with our our hearts, with our souls. God, that we would respond to those words with our lives. We cannot express the, the gratefulness that we feel for the gift of Jesus. We just ask that you would help us to to find new ways to live out that thankfulness every day. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our series this morning that we're, we're calling Repairs of the World. It comes from this, this Jewish idea that no matter what kind of work we do, all of that work, if, if we can see it this way, if we can think about it this way, it becomes a part of God's great work of repairing all of the broken places, all of the broken people all across our world. Uh, and it's not always easy to have that perspective. It's not always easy to see our work that way. It takes effort. It takes imagination. And that's really what this series is about. It's about all of us learning how, being trained to think of of whatever it is we do, whether we're paid for it or not, whether it's something we feel like we choose to get to do, or it's work that's been placed in our lives and we're simply responding to that. Whatever it is, however you work, you've got to take some some time. You've, You've got to make the effort to see that work in its proper place that it really can be a part of God's great work of repairing the world. And so uh, I, last week, I, I kind of gave you this idea to wrestle with and think about. 
right? That this idea that whatever it is you do, you are called to be a part of God's great work of repairing the world. So what is it that you think? Specifically, right now in your life, what is it that God is, is calling you to do? What kinds of opportunities has God given you to work? Um, and so I closed last week's sermon with, with those words. Nate, could you pull those up now? Um, and, and I hope that you lived with them this week. I hope that you, you wrestled some with the idea of, okay, what is it? Every day I get up and I, I labor, right? I, I expend energy. I, I use effort. I, I focus my attention. All of that collectively together becomes something that we do as work. And is it something that you're able to see as, as an invitation from God? Now, I, I know that that doesn't automatically make all of us thankful for the jobs that we do, for the work that we have, for the tasks that we accomplish. And yet my hope is that in asking these kinds of questions, and really it's, it's a question that only you can answer in your own life, that, that God will start to speak to you through those times of reflection to help you understand how it is that what you do matters. That it can bring meaning and purpose to your life and not only to your life but the lives of other people. We've, we've been, for this last year, thinking about how discipleship is something that really does have to impact every aspect of our lives, including our work lives. I want you to read these words from Henry Nouwen, a Christian author. He says, Jesus' call to discipleship is primal. It's all-encompassing, all-inclusive. It demands a total commitment. You can't be a little bit for Christ Give him some attention or make him one of many concerns. I mean, what Nowen's trying to say here in the nicest way possible is, look, it's all or nothing. You're either finding ways to connect all of the aspects of your life to what it is that God has, has created you to do and be, or you're trying to, to do some sort of juggling act that just really won't work. It takes all of who we are, all of what we do, and all of how we work. Jesus talks about this idea of, of being people who, who understand what we're doing as a part of what God's doing in Luke chapter 22. I want us to read that quickly now. Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. They're getting close to the end of, of Jesus' life. And they decide that this would be a great time to argue over who's the greatest among them. Right? And Jesus says to them, The kings of the Gentiles rule over their subjects, and those in authority over them are called friends of the people. What he really means there is that the important folks are able to force everyone else to call them friends of the people, whether they feel that way or not. But that's not the way it will be with you. Instead, the greatest among you must become like a person of lower status and the leader like a servant. Which one is greater, the one who's seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Isn't it the one who is seated at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And that, that last phrase is, is what I want us to hold on to from this passage. Jesus says, of all the kinds of different ways my identity can be defined while I'm here, while I'm, I'm living among you, while I'm doing my ministry, while I'm doing God's work, the identity that, that he chooses here in Luke 22, and not just in this chapter, but over and over and over again, is that he is among them. He's among us as one who serves. That he's trying to look into the lives of people to see what it is they need most, 
And through God's power, through God's wisdom and insight, he wants to help meet them where they are. And he says, I want you to be the same way. I don't want you to just benefit from from the way I'm serving you. I'm, I'm trying to show you the way you need to spend your life. And I think sometimes we don't always think of our work as service. But again, that's a matter of perspective. It's it's a way of seeing it or not seeing it. Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that as Christian people, no matter what it is we're doing, we should be seeing that as something we're doing to serve someone else. And and that means that any time we do anything for that reason... We are able to, through, again, God's power and God's presence and God's wisdom, we're able to love our neighbors well. When we serve them well, we love them well. This quote from Kyle Bennett, We can love and serve our neighbor through our daily work just by doing our tasks and fulfilling our responsibilities well. Nate, let's pull up the quote. Do we have that there, Kyle Bennett? Yeah, thanks. When we do so, we can preserve and protect their life or make it more comfortable and peaceful. So there's this full spectrum, right? That when we do our work well, we we may have to admit that primarily what we're doing for some people, we might be making them more comfortable or we might be making them more peaceful. On the other hand, depending on what kind of task we're doing, we may actually be protecting them or preserving their life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that aspect to, to work here in a few moments. But that really is the the full spectrum of of our different kinds of jobs and what we do. And all of it's worthwhile. All of it, when we do it for God, can help fix, can help bring healing, can help change somebody's outlook in their life and as they relate to other people. Philippians 2, Paul starts to talk about, okay, we're supposed to be servants, but what kind of motivation are we supposed to have in all that? And... You're probably familiar with this passage. Um, he ends up saying, look, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider being equal with God something to exploit. Right? And this is pretty true. Jesus in his ministry, he doesn't name drop God to get where he wants to go. It's other people who keep talking about his relationship to God. He doesn't use it as something to exploit, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. And when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus doesn't just serve once, he serves always, and he has a very specific reason for serving. It's not for self-advancement. It's not to get ahead. It's not to get recognition. It's because he loves the people he serves. He cares for them. And even if it's very simple, when you do something to take care of someone else, it's one of the most clear ways we can express the love that we have for our fellow human beings. And Jesus understands this. He holds on to it. And it can be a real challenge in our lives to make sure when we work, when we commit acts of service towards another person, that we're not primarily doing it because we're working some kind of angle. And so Jesus, when he's, he's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about this idea that if you're not sure of your motivations when you do good things, maybe you ought to sometimes at least do those things in private, do those things in secret. In other words, serve when other people aren't watching. 
Because if you serve in that way, if you work in that way, then you, you have less temptation to think that, that what you're doing is automatically a good thing, even if why you're doing it is for less than good reasons. Author Jan Johnson says, service as a spiritual discipline is doing good for others with no thought of ourselves. But if our service is considered successful, we can become wrapped up in ourselves or in the service. That's why secrecy is a twin discipline of service. Now, it's not always practical every time you or I do something that takes some effort, right? Every time you and I work, that it would be done in total and complete secrecy. I understand that that's not always available to us, but the point still stands that you and I have got to find ways to separate what we're doing from why we're doing it and weigh both. Sift through both, think through both, not only the action but the motivation for the action and ask ourselves, is this really something I'm doing out of love and concern for other people or is it for myself? There are many of you in this room uh, who do jobs where you are actually working hard for other people, but they're not around in the moment that you're doing the work. Maybe you're preparing a space that's going to be used later. Maybe you're working on a vehicle that somebody else is going to drive later. Uh, Maybe you're preparing a meal that you're not actually going to be present at when when someone else enjoys it. There are many people in this room who do work that nobody else sees while they're doing it. This morning, I've asked for Tim Townsend uh, to share a little bit about his job and and what he does, and, and so much of what he does, he's doing for other people that he may never meet. And yet what he's doing is incredibly important, especially for those of us who may never stop and think about the fact that somebody has to do this job. So he's a pilot, but he's a very specific kind of pilot. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that here in this video, and then I'll have a conversation with him on stage in a moment. Let's watch the video together now. Hi, my name's Tim Townsend. I'm a captain with American Eagle. Right now I work in the maintenance division, and I fly the small planes I have, the Embraer 145s. I was in the Air Force for 22 years, and 17 of those were actively flying, and five years were doing staff jobs. Um, in the Air Force, I mostly flew the C-130. I was at Dias twice here in Abilene. There I deployed a lot on both occasions. I went to uh, Saudi Arabia back when we had Southern Watch, and then after the 9-11 and stuff kicked off, we did uh, Oman and Afghanistan and Kuwait. I retired five years ago and immediately got hired by American Eagle. Did the normal passenger flying and stuff for about three years. In the last two years, I've been in the maintenance division. Most of my flight tests are coming from heavy checks, which is what they do here at Abilene. It's like a 30-day process where they tear the airplane apart, look for things wrong, and put it back together again. They'll take off, fly the airplane, put it through the motions, make sure everything's good, come back and land. If anything's wrong, we let maintenance know and they fix everything. Some things require a second flight to verify it, some things don't. And then when it's all said and done, we fly the airplane to Dallas so they can put it into the system for normal passenger flights. 
It's not as scary as most people think because they do a lot of checks on the ground before we ever get airborne. And if things do break, we have a whole slew of emergency procedures to work through that guide us through and get us back on the ground. So it's, you know, something breaks, it's not normally a big deal. It's typically small, tiny little things like, uh, okay, they, that part of the air conditioner is not working today or whatever. And you just need a lot of patience in the maintenance world because schedules are just kind of wishes. You know, when you're fixing something, it gets fixed when it's done. I think I have this job because it's something that helps people, you know, because we support getting people where they need to go by giving them the airplanes they need to fly them. But also at the same time, I think I'm pretty good at it and I enjoy doing it. So having all of those at the same time is pretty nice. So Tim, when we were talking about having this conversation a couple months ago, I asked you what you did, and I, I assumed, I knew you flew for American Eagle, I assumed that primarily you flew passengers, and you said, well, I don't really know that my job's that interesting. I just, you know, I take the planes up after they've been worked on to make sure that everything's been repaired. And you just said it like the same way I would say I need to stop by the grocery store to get some milk or something. <laughs> and I really like you, Tim, but that's not normal. Um, <laughs> It's not normal to be like nonchalant about the fact that you're getting on a plane that's just been worked on to make sure that it's working and be totally cool with, with that. So here's the thing that I, I want to tell the whole room. I never, ever before talking with you thought about that somebody has to do that job. And I can't tell you how, how thankful I am <laughs> that somebody does this job. Uh, what, what's it like uh, on, a, on an average day? I know sometimes you're waiting on them to fix the planes, and, but when you're on an active day of, of work, let us know a little bit more about what it's like to do, to do this job. Uh, my typical days is like the day before, the uh, maintenance people will let me know that they think the plane is ready for a flight test the next day. And then I do all the coordination with my um, operations side to make sure that the plane can, uh, all the wickets have been done so that the flight can happen. The day of the flight, I'll go meet my first officer who normally flies into the terminal. He's normally a guy off a of reserve that helps me out. We'll go through the airplane when it's ready. We go through all of our checks on the ground. We do all the checks that the normal crews do every day, and then we have extra checks depending on what was fixed that we go through. After all the ground tests are done, <clears throat> we take the airplane, fly it, do all the airborne checks and the extra ones as well, come back and land. We let maintenance know anything we found that was wrong then uh, let them fix it. So, you know, sometimes it's quick, sometimes it might take a few hours. When it's all good to go, some t and when they're done, some things, like I said in the video, might require a second fl chest flight, depending on the nature of what was broken. But once the plane's safe, we uh, fly to Dallas so it can enter passenger service, and then normally I just, they put me on a passenger flight and fly me back to Abilene. So you, you get on the same plane that might not have worked the last time, they, they work on it, you, you recheck it, you go back up, and you're fine with that. Yep. <laughs> so you, you got into this through the Air Force, right? And, yes. And so can you talk a little bit about how that experience is something that, that you feel like God carried you through and, and got you ready to do what you're doing now? Um, yeah, I started, yeah, I'm probably training in the Air Force. The Air Force is definitely a different type of, different culture than the airlines. The airlines are pretty much just a pilot. In the Air Force, you're mostly an officer who also happens to be a pilot, and they work on grooming you, so you work in the squadron. A lot of people, you know, they eventually make into generals and so forth. Um, my biggest impact 
on my cruise and stuff was when we would deploy. And the average time was about four months. We, I, we have a fixed crew on a deployment, so I got to see the same people all the time. I wasn't allowed to directly evangelize. That's against the rules. But I tried to witness to people yeah. and with my behavior to other people and so forth. Um, I guess it worked okay. One of the, I remember overhearing one of my load masters, who's the guy in charge of the cargo and stuff in the back of the airplane, was commenting to somebody else, hey, be careful with your language around the boss. You know he's a Christian. Hmm. So um, in a more direct time, I was able to do something was my last uh, deployment. I was second in command of that squadron. And we were in Afghanistan helping the Afghans set up their own air force. And uh, we were working with the Afghans, so we were like on one side of the base with them. And the main part of the base was on the other side of the airfield, which was run by the Army, who's doing the normal Army thing, looking for the Taliban and whatnot. But the chapel was over there, and to get there, you needed a vehicle, which there weren't, you know, units only had a couple each. And also, we were working under the Afghan calendar, and their weekends are Thursday, Friday. So Sunday was a normal work day for people. And um, so it was very hard for people on my side of the base to make to get the warship if they wanted to on Sunday. Um, our uh, squadron had a multi-purpose room, and I contacted the Army chaplain on the other side and set things up where he agreed to come over Wednesday nights, and so I set aside the uh, multi-purpose room for him, and so we had a Protestant worship service once a week on Wednesdays, which was pretty cool, and it was still going when I left. That's great. That's, a, that's quite a legacy. So as you, as you fast forward to now and your, your normal job, most of what you're doing, you might be with a, a first officer, um, you might be talking on the, on the radio to somebody in maintenance, but for the most part, um, it's only occasionally that you fly with, with passengers. That's, by the way, after the, everything checks out. So, uh, I know there's nobody else on the, the flight with you, but I'm, I'm guessing it's somewhere in your heart or your mind, you're, you're thinking of people who will need to use this plane later, right? You're thinking of those other, those other passengers. Um, what, how does that impact you as you're, as you're up there flying? Even though it's only two people on the flight, how does knowing other people need this, this flight, this plane, how does that impact you or affect your, your mind? It motivates me to do as thorough of a job as I can. I want to find that's, all... That's good to know. Yeah. That's really I want to find all the problems possible because we want to fix them then when it has a yes. minimal impact. Because if, you know, the last thing I want is to take a plane to Dallas, and then the crew finds something, and, next, and the passengers are, you know, either they're waiting a couple hours, their flight's been delayed, or, the, or if they don't have another airplane, it gets canceled or something, so I definitely don't want that to happen. Sure. So, you know, I want them to be able to have the plane and use it to get where they need to go. Now, on the, the times that you do fly passengers, which I know you, you have to do to, to keep up with, with all of your regulations, um, what, what's different about those flights when you do get to see people? Um, when you do get to, to interact with folks. It's nice because you get to see the people that you're moving around. I mean, that's the whole goal is moving people where they need to go. Um, you do, on normal flights, when they get off, you know, occasionally people, you know, give us, you know, thanks and stuff, which is nice. But you see it mostly when you go somewhere on a multi-day trip and we're going to the hotel at night. Because, you know, we get off and we go exit the um, airport the same way everybody else does. Yeah. And there you get to see, you know, people hugging their grandmas or whatever they haven't seen in forever. We do serve in the smaller fields. We serve a lot of military bases. And so you get to see the signs when people are coming back from a deployment So uh, after a year. And it's really nice being able to know that we made it possible for those people to see their family again. 
Yeah, you got people from some important places and people in their lives. Absolutely. Uh, what do you, as you think about your job, you know, I think most of us assume being a pilot, especially being a pilot who makes sure everything's been repaired, uh, that's pretty exciting stuff, but I'm guessing there's some monotony to it and some things that, that aren't quite as interesting. What, what's something you'd like the room to know about your job that maybe they, they wouldn't guess? Um, well, like I said in the video, patience. Um, you know, it's, even when we first come out, when they think the airplane will be ready, it, Maybe they find something else wrong. And you definitely want to give them time to fix yeah. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you don't go out yeah. until they say it's good. And then after we, and then sometimes when we do the test flights, come back, things are, are broken. It might take them a few hours to fix it. Um, so during, that's probably the most, you might say, slow times. So during those times, um, if it's like over a meal time, since I live here and I got my car in the parking lot, I'll take my F first officer to lunch or dinner, depending on what time of day it is. And most of the time, they're pretty new guys called off reserve because these flights are all kind of last-minute, non-scheduled stuff. And so I spend most of my time just talking to him. You know, we go over stuff he may not know about different aspects of, you know, they know how to fly the airplane, but there's all the other little admin wickets or whatever of working for the company and stuff. So we just talk about stuff for the most part, yeah, do a little okay. bit of instruction, as it were. Yeah. Uh, if somebody in the room, whether it's a student or somebody who's kind of considering a career change or, or just thinking that they have interest in or they may be being called by God to, to some kind of, of pilot career or, or to be able to fly, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, well, there are two ways to become a pilot, uh, civilian flying or joining the military. For the civilian side, it's expensive. Um, you need at least 1,500 hours in an airplane to have a minimum to even try to get the uh, rating you need to be an airline pilot. Um, pretty much people just, everybody says it takes about $100,000 to pay for all the training and flight time to get there. In the military, while they have great pilot training, that's only slightly part of your life, so you've got to be committed to doing the whole Air Force thing, being an officer, defending your country, and so forth. And then when you sign up, you're like committed for like 10 years before you can even think about getting out. So that's a total commitment in what you're going to do. So each side has its pros and cons. And it's a significant investment. Yeah. Yeah. In time. So as we've been visiting about this and, and just thinking through your, your particular job, the, the work that you do, um, you know, you've known this interview's coming. We've been meeting some. And so... Um, it gives you an opportunity to think through how you want to talk about your job or think through your job. What, what kind of impact has, has just that perspective, um, what, what's that made in your life as you think about your, your work and your job? Um, it's sometimes when you just do that, you know, you can get into you know, like a mini rut or whatever when you're doing a job and you do it over and over again. You get kind of in cruise control and forget what you're doing. You just yeah, doing your thing. And this has helped remind me refocus like what's going on and why I do it why so it's been kind of nice yeah. can you thank Tim for yeah. visiting with us and the time and what he does no. thank you <laughs> so look I know that those of us many of whom might work uh, serving other people that we don't get to see we may not do something that we think is quite as essential to other people's survival as making sure that the airplanes they get on are safe I get that. 
Um, but I also want you to think about this, this reality, right? It's not just true for Tim and, and other pilots. It's, it's true for all of us, and that's this, that, that sometimes we, we do our very best work when we are serving other people that we may never meet. But it, it takes some, again, some, some intentionality, some focus for us to realize that even though we're not going to meet them, even though we may never see their faces, and the flip side of this is important too, they, they may never see us and what we do, um, that they need us. And, and so it's so important for us, I think, as, as those who often both labor in ways where other people may not see it, and we are benefited by the work of other people that we may never see. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, when, when I get on a flight and it's delayed, I'm normally just irritated. I'm not thankful for people like Tim, and I can promise you the next time I'm on a flight and we're not moving, I'm going to think of Tim. And instead of just feeling frustration, I'm going to start to think of who are all the people right now who are stressed out and worried and anxious because they know they're disappointing passengers and they know they're frustrating people and they may be making someone late to a funeral or late to, to get home um, from a trip to see their family again. We we want to find a way to remember that there's people who work on, on so many of the things that we benefit from and to care about those people, to be thankful for those people. And for those of you who work in that way, I want to express my thanks for, for all the things you might do, the meals you might create, the, the spaces you might prepare, the vehicles you might make, make sure are safe. I want to thank you for all the things that you do to bless us. And so I want to take this time to ask, if you're someone who does a lot of your work for people that you don't get to see directly, I want you to go ahead and stand up so that I can pray a prayer of blessing over you. If you're someone who does most of your work and you're not with the people who benefit from that work, please stand up. I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer over you. Tim can't be the only person, right? We got some, okay, we got some other people here. Um, if you feel like you do a job that's pretty thankless, that people take for granted and they just don't see it, uh, stand up, because we want to thank you in this moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the people in our lives who do work when nobody's watching. We thank you for the people who do good work when there isn't a spotlight. And we want to lift them up to you this morning, and we want to confess to you that too often, God, we take one another for granted. I pray for each one of the people who are standing right now. I pray for their, their families. I pray for their relationships. I pray for the work that they do, whether they're paid for it or it's something that they choose to do from the goodness of their hearts or, or both, God. I just lift them up to you and ask that you would continue to work faithfully through them, that you would use their lives as a space where people can encounter your goodness and your kingdom. God, help them understand how important it is that they continue to do what it is that you've asked them to do. We lift them up to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I want you to live with this statement this week because all of us have opportunities, no matter what we do, to serve in secret, to work when nobody's watching. Find something this, this week that you can do that you know is going to benefit or bless somebody else, and they're not going to see it. They're not going to witness it, but you're doing it because you care for them, because you love them. And ask for God to use that experience, that self-sacrifice, as a way to make you more like Jesus. We have an opportunity here right after worship uh, in our lobby, and we just want to encourage everyone to take some time 
You know, all of us have different forms of work in our life, and an important aspect to work can be volunteer work, something that you choose to do to simply bless somebody else when there's really no other way that you're going to be repaid. It's simply something that you know God is calling you to do. So make sure you don't miss this opportunity or rush past it. Most of these opportunities have something to do with our, our one-mile mission. A couple of them go beyond that into our broader Abilene community. It doesn't matter how you find a way to choose to serve. We just want to encourage you, find a way to serve. Um, be a part of what we're doing here in this neighborhood and in our town for the sake of the kingdom. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their spouses will be in the lobby outside of these double doors. They're there to receive you and pray with you. So if you have any concerns at all that you want to share with one of those couples, please go to them as together we stand.